want to thank you for subscribing and listening in to our podcast today. Uh, Please rate and review us. We would also love to connect with you. If you would like to, to speak to a pastor, you want more information about our church, text CONNECT to 903-586-6520 and we will follow up with you. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, you can text GIVE to 903-586-6520 and click on the link and you will have the option of giving one time or on a regular basis. We would greatly appreciate your support and thanks again for listening. Have a great week. Fools. Snakes, whitewashed tombs filled with dead man's bones, blind guides, sons of Satan. These are some of the harshest rebukes in Scripture given by the Lord Jesus Christ. And these Rebukes are are not directed toward those you might think. You would think these would be directed toward some of the most vile and wicked and godless and hated criminals in the first century, but you would be wrong. These comments are directed toward some of the most revered and respected men of the day, the Jewish religious leaders. Why? Well, we're going to learn our answer this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 20. Continuing our study through the Gospel of Luke, we're finishing out Luke 20 this morning. We're going to study two passages today, separated by chapter, but combined because of content. Okay? Luke 20. 45 through 21, verse 4. Now remember, context is key here. It's Holy Week. Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem. The events recorded here are believed to have taken place on the Tuesday before Good Friday when Christ is crucified at Calvary. Jesus takes every opportunity before that time to instruct his disciples on how they are to live without him because he is going to die, he's going to rise, be with them for a time, then he's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father on high and then return later. So he's, he's instructing them on how they are to live in his absence until he returns. While they are with him, large crowds gather as well to hear from him. They're getting up early, they're coming to the temple, they're staying the day to hear what Jesus has to say. On this particular day, Jesus gives his disciples a warning to guard against and an example to follow, okay? A warning to guard against, an example to follow. We are going to look at both this morning and see what the Lord has for us today from this text of Scripture, from this warning and from this example. First, the warning. The warning Jesus gives his disciples. Look at Luke 20, verses 45 through 47. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, 
Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in, in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So Jesus warns his disciples once again of the, the intent and the, the activity of the religious leaders. He mentions the scribes here by name, but we know there are also Pharisees and Sadducees in the bunch as well. But here he singles out the scribes, their intent, their activity. The scribes were men who had dedicated their lives to meticulously copying the Hebrew scriptures to preserve them from, from decay and corruption. And their continuous contact with God's word made them extremely knowledgeable men. They were very knowledgeable of biblical and extra-biblical rabbinic literature as well. And the, and the scriptures there, very, very knowledgeable of those. And the, the, the rabbinic teaching, the extra-biblical rabbinic teaching, they were, they were often called upon to explain God's law. They, they, they really led and influenced the Pharisees, okay? So they are the leader of the leaders. They are the influencers of the influential. And guess what? They wanted everybody to know it. They wanted everybody to know it. Subpoint number one, the scribes were prideful. They were prideful. While long robes were often worn by the scribes while they were hard at work doing their religious responsibilities, they would wear those long robes in public as well so that they could be seen by everyone in the marketplace. This resulted in them being singled out when they wore these robes and caused for people to stop and recognize them as authorities and greet them with respect. They loved this. This is what they wanted more than anything. More than truly being devoted to God, they loved being viewed as being devoted to God, right? They loved honor and respect that came from their position. More than a love for God, they loved the perks. They loved the greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, the places of honor and feasts. And upon hearing this, we need to ask ourselves this question by way of application. Do we love the appearance of godliness more than genuine godliness? Where are you on this? Are you more concerned with what people think about you than who you truly are spiritually? Is that more of a concern for you? Our first concern as Christ followers should be who we are before God, not how we appear before others. It should be the, the condition of our hearts that should concern us more than outward appearance. Who is the real you? Who are you when it's just you? Do you realize that's who you truly are? It was Scottish minister Robbie, Robert, uh, uh, you could call him Robbie, Robert Murray McShane, 
who once said this, what a man is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. Who you are on your knees before God, who you are when it's just you and him is who you truly are, period. Who are you when it's just you? God knows who you truly are. He knows your heart. And get this, what he knows is what is true about you. And that is what should concern you, not the way others view you. You're going to be challenged this week to pray the prayer David, the psalmist, prayed in Psalm 139 where he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Would you say that prayer this week? Pray that God would search you and know you. May that be what concerns us. If the scribes would have earnestly sought God on this matter, they would have seen that while they looked apart outwardly, while they appeared godly inwardly, they were dead in their trespasses and sins, whitewashed tombs, pretty on the outside, but dead on the inside. They were, point number two, sub-point number two, they were hypocrites. They were prideful, they were hypocrites. Listen to what Jesus says about them again in verse 47. He warns his disciples about the scribes. He says, who devour widows' houses for a pretense, make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus is accusing them here of hypocrisy. While they tried their best to appear outwardly godly in the way they, they dressed and in what they, they said and did, they proved otherwise by their actions. They may wear long religious robes and receive honor and praise for their spiritual position and title while they may impress with their long spiritually pious prayers. They show who they really are by their treatment of the lowly and the least of these in society. That's what Jesus is saying. He indicates here that their prayers were nothing more than, than just lip service to God. Their words were a sham. It was a cover-up. The phrase, devour widows' houses, has been discussed and debated, interpreted in a number of different ways. We don't know for sure the specifics of what this means. It could be referring to the fact that the scribes were often employed in the handling of widows' finances and possessions and could have been that they were exploiting and cheating them out of money for personal gain. We don't know for sure. What we do know is that they were abusing their trusted position in their dealing with the widows. The, this phrase indicates that there were, were certain levels of, of deceit in their dealings with helpless people. Outwardly, they were, they were hard at work keeping up appearances, trying to make it seem as if they were godly, but inwardly they were deceitful, wicked, unregenerate enemies of God. They were hypocrites of the worst kind, religious frauds. What Bruce Barton says about them, look at this quote on the screen. They saddled people with petty rules while they themselves lived greedily and deceitfully. 
Their behavior gave a pretense of piety while they oppressed and misled the very people they were supposed to lead. Jesus says they will receive the greater condemnation. The reason why is because they were the religious leaders. They were the leader of leaders, the influencers of the influential. James, the brother of Jesus and, and one of the elders in the church in Jerusalem warns those who are considering answering the call to be a pastor and teacher. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Jesus tells the, the scribes, you will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus really comes down hard on these religious leaders for their put on self-importance, their love of popularity, their desire for praise, their abuse of power, their unloving spirit, and their hypocritical character. Jesus warns his disciples here of being influenced by them and led astray. And there are good applicational questions for us to ask ourselves as well to make sure that, that we are on guard against hypocrisy in our lives. First question is this, do you love to be seen in the right spiritual places? Do you insist on titles and position and do you dress for effect? Are you more motivated by what people say about you than how God sees you? Do you do what you do to be seen by others or out of a love for God and a desire to please and bring glory to Him? Great questions, right? Great questions to ask yourself this week. Look at your study guide, Monday through Friday study guide. I provide a sermon-based study guide each week. I have these questions for you to revisit, for you to ask yourself this week, to examine your heart and life, to see where you are on this. Great, great questions to ask to make sure you have not fallen prey to the sin of pride and hypocrisy. So that's the warning Jesus gives his disciples. Now, let's look at Luke 21 and focus on the example Jesus gives his disciples. The example Jesus gives his disciples. Look at verses 1 through 4 of Luke 21. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So, so Jesus moves from this warning to this example. This poor widow provides a perfect example to Jesus' disciples of how they are to live in contrast to these wicked scribes. These two passages, I believe, are meant to be viewed 
side by side connected because of the two examples that are given that contrast each other. Jesus moves, get this, from warning his disciples of the wicked example of the scribes who look good outwardly but are inwardly wicked, who for appearances offer long prayers but they defame the name of God by devouring widows' houses. Jesus moves from that to the example of a widow who looks unimpressive to those around her, who brings an offering to God that seems minuscule, but in the eyes of the Lord, this woman is genuinely godly. She offers a sacrifice that is worthy of praise. In Luke 21, we learn that Jesus is with his disciples in the temple in the court of women. Now, remember I told you there were a number of different courtyards in the temple in this day there was the 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 courtyard of the gentiles that was open to jewish gentile uh the the gentile converts to judaism and everybody else and then there is the courtyard of the women that was available just for jewish men and women then there was the courtyard of the men, only Jewish men. Then there was the inner courtyard. That's where the, the priests did their, their priestly duties. They, would, they had an altar for sacrifice and places to wash. And then they entered into the temple area with the holy place and most holy place. I, I brought a picture. I showed this on, on uh, Wednesday. Check this out. Next photo. This will give you an example. To the right is the temple in Jesus' day. To the left is Solomon's temple. So you see a difference here in, in the two structures, right? Multiple courtyards in the uh, temple that was rebuilt in the Old Testament and then, and then uh, added on to by, by Herod during his rule. That's just extra, okay? But that'll give, you a, that'll give you a good visual here. This story is taking place in the courtyard of the women, Okay? The courtyard where, where Jewish men and women were allowed to go. In this area, there were 13 collection bins. Seven were for the Jewish worshipers to pay their temple tax. And the additional six were for free will offerings. As people are giving their offering, Jesus is watching what is being put in. No pressure, right? This tells us something right off the bat. You ready for it? It's real simple. Our Lord is deeply concerned with what we give to God. Deeply concerned. Do you give to God? God cares. God, God cares about, about what you give to Him. Sometimes people justify not giving to the church, and here's what they argue. They, they argue, well, how can I trust that what they're going to do with what I give? How, how can I trust that they're going to use it wisely? Jesus doesn't seem concerned with that, does he? We know there was corruption in the religious system in Jesus' day. He, he doesn't stop this woman and go, uh-uh, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Were you not here the other day when I chased these, these money-loving religious leaders out of the temple? He doesn't do that, does he? The reason why is because this woman is giving out of a love for God, a great trust in him. 
Here's the truth of the matter. God owns everything. God owns everything, and he will deal with those who misuse and abuse their their authority. Remember Jesus, just a few days prior, he's driving out the corrupt money changers. In the previous passage, he calls out the scribes, we just looked at it, for devouring widows' houses. God will bring what is done in the dark to light. I feel really good about how we're managing and, and using the money here. We have a, a solid finance committee that the elders lean on. The money we, we receive, it's, it's used for the purpose of, of escorting non-believers to Christ and establishing believers in truth and equipping believers for ministry. We provide a, a, a summary of of how we're using the money that's given in the back of your bulletin. You can see that. We provide that for you. You can look at that. We provide it each month. You'll notice. Turn there now. That's fine. You can look there. I want to draw your attention to this. We, are, uh, we report what's, what's been given and what's been spent on the year. And uh, we're a little behind, as you can see. In, uh, in what's been given versus what's been spent. We're actually $14,000 behind on giving for our projected budget this year. The good news is we're not spending as much as we projected in the budget. So we're very, very mindful of, of what's been given versus what we're spending, okay? But we would like for you to give more so that we can spend more so that we can do more. That's why that budget is is projected where it is, is for us to do more in ministry here in this church and and in this community. So I want to encourage you to to give and to support the ministry here and to, to, to help us catch up for the year. But I'm happy to say that that in this church we have we have nothing to hide when it comes to finances. You can ask Nancy DeMint, our financial manager, the, the members of our, our finance committee, or the, or the elders. We have nothing to hide, but we want to encourage you to, to give to the church to support the ministries here at Fellowship and know that what you give is put right back in to the ministry that we're involved in. I, I, I've shared with you before that not only is your giving a, an act of, of worship to God, and an act that you are acknowledging that everything that God has given you, everything you have has been given to you by God, but you also benefit when you give because we're, we're, we're pouring the money that we receive back in to, to salaries and to programs and to facility costs and to materials to help us escort and establish and equip. So that's the, that's the first observation we see right off the bat. Our Lord is deeply concerned with what we give to God. And he will hold those in leadership accountable for what they, what they do or what they do not do with the money he has provided. But he calls for us to trust. Trust in him and to give, okay? Second thing we learn in this story is that the way God keeps his books and the way we keep ours is different. Think about it. We, we often highlight that individual 
who single-handedly paid for a new facility, right? Or, or supported an important mission organization while ignoring those who gave sacrificially an amount that may not even total up to a, a weekly part-time minimum wage paycheck. We generally judge people by the amount they give, don't we? Jesus chooses, chooses here not to, not to comment on the amount given, but on what is left. Look at the text. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, remember in the previous passage, Jesus' criticism of the religious leaders is that their main focus is to be outwardly religious. They were more concerned with the appearance of godliness than genuine godliness. Jesus shows us here what true godliness looks like. It's sometimes difficult for us to see when he's observing what the people are giving all we can observe is the outward, right? The amount giving, the amount that's given. Jesus looks at the heart. While the gifts of the wealthy were no doubt impressive, only one gave to such an extent that it hurt. That's what led Jesus to say what he does here. He lets his disciples know that this poor widow has given more than all the rest. That would have caused their jaw to drop. They would have been floored by that comment because this woman gave two lepta. A, a, a lepton was one hundredth of a denarius and a denarius was a day's wage. Outwardly, it looks as if she's contributed little. But Jesus lets his listeners know she's given more than all because they have given out of their abundance. She has given out of her poverty. She has given all she has. While what they have given is impressive, what she has given hurts. She has made a true sacrifice. She is truly trusting in God. She acknowledges that, that all she has is his. She's not concerned with appearances. I mean, can you imagine following someone who drops in a large sum of money with two small coins? That didn't concern this woman, from what we can tell. Her motivation was not the appearance of godliness, but true, genuine godliness. She gave all she had because she loved God and trusted in him. To close today, I want to do two things. One, I want to share with you some helpful principles about giving. And then I want to end with an important question that we must all ask ourselves, okay? So first, a few practical principles on giving. You may be here today and up to this point, you have not supported your church financially. I want to encourage you to do that. Maybe you have a desire to do that. 
but don't know where to begin. I want to help you. I would like to give you some, some biblical principles on giving here and elsewhere. So mark your spot in, in Luke 21. We're going to do something we don't often do. We're going to leave Luke 21 for a moment. Flip over to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. As you're turning there, let me bring you up to speed with where we are because this is the end of the book. Paul is writing a letter to one messy, messed up church, right? Corinth was messed up in many ways. Paul has been addressing lots of issues in this church. And at the end of this letter to the Christians at Corinth, Paul leaves them with the set of instructions on how to live a fruitful and holy life as a follower of Jesus Christ. And the first principle he gives them here in 1 Corinthians 16 is that the godly give to the work of the Lord. The godly give to the work of the Lord. They support the Lord's work. Look at verses 1 through 4 of 1 Corinthians 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So in the passage, Paul is reminding the Christians at Corinth of the offering that he is collecting. Paul's collecting an offering from the Gentile churches to go toward the Christians in need in Jerusalem. They had fallen on hard times. There was a famine in the land. There was overpopulation in, in the city at this time as well, causing all kinds of, of financial problems. The Christians in, in Jerusalem were, were struggling due to a number of difficulties financially. And on top of all that, they're being persecuted, okay? So there are some hurting believers in this city and in this church. So Paul is taking up a collection for them. And so in this passage, he is calling for the Christians in Corinth to give to support this work. And he gives them several principles that they are to consider when they give. And we're going to go back to the, the, the widow here too and show how she gave in this way. But, but look at these principles Number one, give out of obligation. Paul says in verse 1, As I directed the church, the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. So Paul says here, I directed, I ordered the churches to give. It is commanded. We are told to give to support the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to give to support kingdom work. And this is not just a command for the wealthy. It's a command for everyone. He says, I told the Galatians to do it. Now it's your turn. You Corinthians are to be giving like everyone else. Everyone is supposed to give. So give out of obligation. The poor widow, while she gave willingly, while she gave sacrificially, I'm sure joyfully, she also is in the temple on that day because the one true and living God demands that we worship him. It's not a suggestion, would you please, if you don't mind. Don't read the Bible in that way. Worship is a command. 
It's an imperative. Psalm 150 begins with this imperative. Praise the Lord. And it ends. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. One way we praise the Lord, we respond to Him, we worship Him, is by giving to Him. Paul also says, give regularly. He tells the Christians at Corinth in verse 2, on the first day of every week. What day is that, by the way? What's the first day of the week? Sunday. The day they're gathered for worship. On the first day of every week, that's when the, the early church gathered for worship. On that day when you gather, each of you is to put something aside, store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be, there will be no collecting when I come. Now, some have used this verse to say believers must give weekly, each and every week. I believe there's room for freedom here, okay? Some of you give bi-weekly. Some of you give monthly. Hope, hopefully some of you are not giving. We'll start. You, some of you give online. We have ways for you to text to give. You can give online. You can set it up to be directly withdrawn. That's okay. The, the, the point here is that we're to be giving regularly. We remind you, like I said earlier, in our bulletin, we provide you with the report of what's been given for the month, and we remind you that the giving of your financial resources is to be an act of worship. That's why we have the offering boxes in the worship center. It's an act of worship. It's always been for the people of God and is today. Next point, give proportionally. Paul says, as he may prosper... In the NIV, it says, in keeping with his income. In other words, the more we are blessed, the more we should be a blessing to Christ's church. Now, again, doesn't get you with little off the hook. You should all be giving, but it is proportional. The woman gave, the widow gave to Lepta, right? She was praised by Christ for that amount because she gave proportional to what she had. She gave above and beyond. She sacrificed. Others giving that amount would not have been pleasing in God's sight, right? It's to be proportional. And lastly, you should also give sacrificially. Last point. Give sacrificially. At the end of 1 Corinthians 15, we're told to be abounding in the work of the Lord. This means disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ are to be purposefully overdoing it in their service to God. Does this include giving? You bet it does. Paul mentions the money that he collected from the poor and suffering churches in Macedonia in 2 Corinthians 8. These are the churches of Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. They're suffering. They're poor. He says they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. They were abounding in the work of the Lord in the way in which they gave, going beyond, giving beyond their means. Jesus highlights this in Luke 21 with the widow and the amount given by focusing in on the amount she had left. She gave all she had. We're to be going above and beyond in our giving. We're to be giving sacrificially to support God's work, to advance His kingdom. 
We are to acknowledge that everything we have, everything we own has been given to us by God. Therefore, we're to give back to him by giving to his church as an acknowledgement of, of that, that it all belongs to him. And in faith, knowing that his ministry is worth our investment. It's worth it. Folks, I didn't pick this text because I looked at the bulletin this week. It's what I love about expositional preaching. It's what's next in the text. But God's word's always on time, isn't it? God has something for us here that he wants us to hear. So we need to respond. In closing, let me ask you this. Are you invested in God's kingdom work? Are you, are you giving of your time and your money and your talents and your devotion to the Lord, to the work he is doing to spread his gospel and advance his kingdom through his church? If not, that may be due to the fact that you have yet to taste and see that the Lord is good. I pray you would see that. I pray that you would see that God is worthy of all you have to give and much, much more. He's worth it. He sent his son so that you would see that. He gave, the father gave, the greatest, most costly gift to us so that there would be nothing, absolutely nothing, that we withhold from him. God the Son laid everything down so that you would give everything you have to him, your very life up and over to him. He left heaven's riches for earthly rags. He emptied himself, becoming one of us. The creator became creation. The, the immortal took on mortality. The spirit became flesh. The divine took on humanity. He became a man to obey and suffer for us. He lived, he died, he rose again to bring us to God through repentance and faith in him. Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation today? Have you laid your life down before him? Have you been brought to your knees in repentance of sin brought to the knees and to the, to the feet of Jesus in faith. If not, I pray, today be the day you forsake your way, turn from your sin, place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation and be saved. Let's pray together.